0: Hello, this is Steve Hogarth from Marillion, talking rock with Dave and Shane. Hey, everybody, this is Joel Hi, everybody, this is Rob Halford, the 3 Sergeant. Hey, yeah, this is Steve You folks are just a triumph, and we're talking rock with Dave and Shane. Oh! Oh!
1: this is yet another treat for us Mr. H is with us from Marillion and of course uh, the brand new album coming out March 4th an hour before it's dark uh, set to be released via ear music and of course the leadoff track is out now be hard on yourself uh, which has so many different textures to it and atmospheres and i think there's just there's a lot of i'm looking forward to the rest of this record i know shane you are too because there's um you know marillion always takes it a whole new level i think at least that's what it seems like as a fan for us and uh mr h i just want to welcome you to the show and uh i guess tell us you know with so much going on in the world right now you capture a lot of that on this record i understand now, what was it like to to approach uh, this this album and how is that approach different from uh previous records
0: well, um, I mean, first of all, I was trying, for all I was worth, not to write about the pandemic. That was, that was rule number one. I mustn't yeah. write about that because ev- everybody else is going to be writing about it, and everybody's going to be sick of it by the time the record comes out. So that was um, forbidden. And yet, um, as, I got, as we sort of got going on it, And time passed. Just about every, every, not every lyric, but most of the lyrics I wrote just ended up referencing it because Mm. that was the reality. You know, there there have been there's two issues facing the world at the moment. One is one is the climate crisis, and the other is the pandemic. And so, whatever I wrote about, because I tend to write. I'm not a calculate, a calculating lyricist. I just write about what I feel. Yeah, and uh, because I was writing about what I f- felt, then then in ca- in came the worries about the planet, and in came the pandemic, and so there was no stopping it. Be hard on yourself is really, um, you know, a reflection of that realization that we're going to have to live in a different way. Pretty soon, and we're going to have to get our heads out of this mindset that that luxury is success and vice versa. Um, And, you know, we, we can't just keep wanting the next shiny thing in order to prove that we're worth something uh that there must be better ways to prove that we're worth something than than the car we drive or which model of iphone we're carrying um because if we carry on like that we're we're going to junk the entire world and we're already well on that path so be hard on yourself is really just saying I'm talking to myself. I mean, I'm, it's a song I'm singing in the mirror. Really, I'm mm. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. I'm 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 pointing the finger at myself when I say you've been spoiled for years. You know, you've had mm. it too good. You know, you've been comfortable all your life. Um, which isn't actually true but but I've I've been comfortable for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so um, you know I just wanted just wanted to make the point that you know the monkey wants a new toy and that's all that it knows is it, we we can't carry on like that. We yeah. we've we, we're going to have to make some serious decisions and some serious compromises if we're not going to go down mm-hmm burning with the rest of the planet. Hmm. Well, the, the the title
2: of the album, uh, Steve, uh, or H, um, An Hour Before It's Dark, is that kind of a reference to how close we are to complete chaos? Or do you think we're already there?
0: Well, I, I, I think, you know, the naturalists are telling us that there's still time, but we've got to do something radical. Hmm. Um, so there, there are solutions and uh, people are pretty smart on the whole. And, and when, when, a, when a desperate solution is demanded of human beings, there's always some smart, smart ass somewhere will come up with it. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we have to get on with it and we have to be prepared to live differently, to spend the money. Um, and now before it's dark, is a reference really to 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 a planet on the precipice. It's also a reference to what a lot of people have been through. It's a reference to mortality Mm -hmm. and the fact that none of us know how much time we've got left. It doesn't matter how old, how young we are, how fit and healthy we are. We don't know. We might we might have till the end of the week, you know, a truck might hit us. so, it's worth, especially at my age, um, you know, you start to contemplate your mortality a little bit more than you do when you're young, and you know, when when you're, I mean, I'm 65 now, so I'm kind of sick of writing love songs, and, and that's not really where I am in my life, and um, I want to try and write something broader than that, and something that ultimately. Is, uh, is more worthwhile and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'll leave the love songs to the kids. I'll, I'll, I'll try and mm-hmm. give the world the benefit of my great wisdom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, you know, to that point of, um, you know, not knowing how much time we have. I mean, I know we've lost obviously so many icons in music. I mean, so many of your colleagues as well. And I wonder, did, did some of that factor into, um, you know, either the title of the album or just, grand state of things that are that are happening out there.
0: Um well you mean we you mean the constant passing of some of the genius. Yeah absolutely people people, people in my generation yeah we lost meat love just last week didn't we Uh, Mm yeah um and and of course you know Prince and Michael Jackson not that that long ago I guess longer ago than I think it still feels like it was two years back but I guess it wasn't. Um, but yeah, they are they are passing on, and uh, they're getting old, or, or they're you know they're taking too many drugs, or they're having heart attacks, or whatever. Um, so that that's constantly re- refocusing the minds of musicians a little bit towards their own mortality. Um, but I'm more concerned with the 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 planet as a whole than right. individual people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I you know, and the and the and the animals and the plants on it as well, not just the people. There, there's yeah. a lot of references to, to the flora and fauna and the, you know, the bees and the butterflies and the birds in, in my in, in in my lyrics. Um, so this album has is, is really been about what a weird two years we've just had um the fact that um if you know the 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 single murder machines that we're about to release is was really that realization at the beginning of the of the pandemic that if if i put my arms around my father or my mother i might kill them and that was weird you know with a capital w uh and it's something we've all had to contemplate and so the forced isolation, physical isolation we've had from each other has, um, I think, done a lot of people a lot of mental damage, more than perhaps they realize. It's been a strange way to live. We've all been on a strange journey together. And perversely as well, that's kind of brought us closer to each other because if you look at the entire world, the entire world has had this problem Mm-hmm. so suddenly that's united us all in, in being able to relate to one another's problems a little bit. So it's not all been doom and gloom. That there have been some good, there are good aspects about me being forced to sit up suddenly and think about these things.
2: Yeah. Steve, another uh, UK band, James, uh um, Put out an album last year, uh, The Colors of You. It's quite quite good, actually. I don't know if you heard it or not, but oh, yeah, a, large, a large part of the album deals with the, the pandemic, which uh, they kind of said the same thing. They were, but they, they went for it. And it was a very comforting album to listen to because it, it kind of uh, at least made me feel like I wasn't alone in it. Is that something that you're hoping uh, uh, Marillion fans will be? able to latch on to
0: and relate to you? Well, I don't know what I'm hoping, to be honest. I, I, I just uh, throw these things out there because they're how I feel. Um, the reflections on, on on you know, my own worries, my own feelings, my own experiences. And then whether, whether the fans relate 100% to them or not, is that's down to fate and, mm-hmm. and the gods. Um, I don't. I don't write anything in the hope that it will cause an effect on people. I, I tend to just write. This is what I feel. This is what I'm thinking about. You know. What. You know. Have you ever thought about this? Uh But I'm not. I'm not telling people what to think. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. What do you make of this? Yeah what's does, interesting does the band
2: Oh, go ahead, go ahead sorry um, i just want a quick follow-up does the band yep. ever come to you and say steve come on man this is too heavy
0: <laughs> when that's that's a good question no they never do because they're even more miserable than i am you know? so, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they spend their lives listening to pink floyd you know they, they love doom and gloom <laughs>
1: Well, it kind of gets to my my question about, like, you know, the music being, you know, really, there's an upwards tempo, upbeat nature, despite, you know, those heavy themes. So, Shane, you read my mind, I think. I mean, how do you, uh, Mr. H, what's your your thoughts on just the balance of that? I mean, heavy themes, but the songs that have an upbeat tempo and and a feel.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, The way we write is we just jam in the studio, I have all of these words and all of these thoughts and half thoughts. And we, we meet up every day, the, the musicians make a noise, we record it all. Mm. And I'm listening, we, we work on headphones, which is why we managed to carry on working through the lockdown, because we're all in separate corners of the room on, on cans. Mm. And um, we, we literally record everything. And then we listen to it later when almost when we've forgotten about it, we go back to it and listen to it. We throw nearly all of it away. um, But every now and again, there's just a little moment where we all go, hang on, what was that? Hmm. That was curious, you know, and we snip out these little accidents. They're all just accidents. Um, And but they're good accidents. And then we take those we relearn how we did it, what happened there. And then we develop um, the songs from those accidents. And I guess on this album, the musical accidents that we liked best for the most part had quite a lot of energy more than more than on the last album, for instance. But the this this method of writing is incredibly slow, but what it does do is it's a little bit like a roulette wheel and it ensures that whatever you get, isn't like anything you've had before, you know. Uh, and you can you can also choose to some extent uh, to filter out anything that sounds like something you've done before as well. You go, well, we don't want to use that. That sounds like we did that in two thousand and blah. You know. Um, so we're always looking for a different sort of a uh, window. Uh, musical window on 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 the world. Um, uh, each album tends to be a reaction to the one before. You know, oh, we, that one sounded like that. We've got to get right away from that now and do this. And so I think just the way it worked out, even though as uh, I, I I had what is really a, a relatively bleak set of words for the most part. Uh, I mean, they're not all that bad. Um, They were married with kind of upbeat grooves and quite a lot of power, quite a lot of beautiful things. Mm. So it is a sort of a a, a paradox of of an album in in many ways. Uh, If you just sat down and and read the words, you perhaps wouldn't be expecting an overall impression that's quite so uplifting.
2: So... Uh, I didn't realize this, but this morning I was just reading it up. And uh, today is, is the 33rd uh, anniversary on the day that you joined Feb- Well, February, some... February 2nd, 1989. <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing, yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> well yeah, we can, we, can, we can argue over the exact day a little bit, but it's most <laughs> definitely just about on the nose 33 years. And I'm still technically the new boy. <laughs> um, yeah. That was my. That was kind of my question. Like, yeah. how? Uh,
2: I'm familiar with your band before uh, and the stuff that you did before you joined this joined this band uh, with the and and uh, the Europeans and stuff. I was a, uh, I was heavily into that kind of music in the '80s. Um, how difficult was it for you to move from? That, that kind of music into into this band and how was the initial reaction? Do you still get reactions from people?
0: Well, th- I mean, thirty three years ago. Um, I mean, it's hard to remember, but mm. I mean, my the the overall feeling was that I expected it to be harder than it was. Uh, I wouldn't have joined the band if. You know, if, I, if I'd met them and they'd sat me down and said, okay, we're Marillion, here's our last album. It sold this many copies. It sounds like this. We've got a big fan base. Can you do that? I'd have gone, no, bye. And that really would have been the end of it. It mm-hmm. would have been a short meeting. Um, and I nearly didn't go and meet them because I just thought oh, there was such a gulf between... The music they were making and where my head was at. But I had a drinking mate in Windsor called Darrell Way, mm. uh, a violinist. And he used to be in a band called Curved Air. Um, and um, Curved Air singer was a woman called Sonia Christina who married Stuart Copeland, who then did quite well with a band called The Police. Yeah. And Stuart played in Curved Air. He was he was the drummer. He was the drum tech, actually. Mm. And then he became the drummer. And then I think Daryl fired him, which was probably not his best move ever. Um, <laughs> but eventually, um, Curved Air split up and Daryl became, um, he was my mate. We, we used to spend a lot of time socializing together in Windsor back in uh, the, the, the sort of mid to late 80s. Um, and I had a drink with him and I said, you'll never guess what's happened. You know, this, this band Marillion want to meet me. And uh, I can't really imagine how that could work. And, and he said, no, you should go and see them. They're cool people. Uh, and so he, he kind of um, lent on me a little bit. Actually, he knew Ian Mosley, the drummer. Ian had been in his band at one point. And he said, no, they're really nice people. They're well worth meeting. So I went to meet them. And you know, I just said, well, what is it you're looking for? And they said, well, we've heard what you do. And we like it a lot. And we just like you to do it. And we'll do what we do. And we'll see what happens mm. and th- that was the experiment from day one and every time i imagined there'd be a problem somebody in the band would go oh don't worry about that it'll be fine mm. and so we went off and we, we we wrote season's end the first album we made together and that was really easy and really fast. You know, That it was obvious we had a chemistry together that was, um, you know, we, we, we just had a chemistry. We still do. Um, and then we went to a very nice country house studio to record season's end and the sun shone every day. And I just flopped around in a big, shirt like i died and become lord byron (laughs) um and it was very hard it was very hard to think of any of it as a problem um Hmm. and then when we we recorded season's end we were happy with the album the record label were happy with the album and then we went out and toured. and i suddenly thought oh my god what have i done Hmm. um I'm in front of you know all these thousands of people who who are all kind of looking at me. Like, well, what's this like then? What's 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 going going on with this guy? And um, it was amazing. Every every night, by about song three, I just felt this wave of relief go through the crowd, mm-hmm. um, which turned then into appreciation and enthusiasm and, and I, I, I saw every night i watched them slowly take me to themselves um, i'm sure there are people out there in the world who who thought no this isn't for me this guy's ruined my favorite band and, and of course they they've probably voted with their feet and long gone you know they'll have been gone 25 years ago so mm. um, it's been a really It's for the most part. It's been a really, really pleasant ride. The fans have been unbelievably kind to me everywhere on earth. And the band, as as Daryl said, the band are really cool people, and and I think that's why we're still together. Because we we still we still. I mean, obviously we fall out when we're when from time to time when we're creating because there's nothing like a creative process for causing friction and difference of opinion, but, um, it's never got to the point where we couldn't see it for what it is, you know? Um, and, uh, they're all gentlemen. They're all, they've all got a, a really clear moral compass. No, none of them would ever sell out for money. Um, so we're all kind of on the same page as people. When you joined, too, at that
1: time, uh, it was obviously a change for you and for the band. But musically, I think, you know, music was kind of going in a different direction, too. So how did that factor in to how um, everyone approached uh, their craft? Or was it just just as you mentioned that, you know, you just
0: see what happens, pretty much? Well, it was see what happens. The, the first album, what, they'd kind of written a lot of music. They, they'd already got a lot of ideas, musical ideas because that's how they used to write with Fish. They would write the music and he would write the words, and that was that. Um, and so they'd already got quite a lot that I think they'd even been trying with him be- before they split up. So they brought that to the table, and I brought my thing to the table. So Season's End was a, like two worlds welded together. Mm. Holidays in Eden, the second one, was much more difficult because then we had we started with nothing. And we were all a little bit insecure. Um, Certain elements of of the band were a little conservative and a bit reluctant to move. Mm -hmm. Um, I was busy trying to finish every idea we had, I was going okay. I can finish this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And they were all going, whoa, it's too fast. It's too. Whoa. Uh, can't we leave it for a bit, you know, and come back to it? And I'm going, well, why don't we finish it now? And, and that was freaking them out because they'd always worked much more slowly. So Holidays in Eden was a strange album and took, took, came together slowly, but was was a painful thing to put together in a lot of ways. And then we came to Brave, the third one. And Brave was the point at which we, we turned into one new animal together. Mm. And it kind of went like that. Mm. And we created this big, dark, brooding piece of work, um, which, you know, I think is probably a masterpiece, but it turned a lot of people off. I think we lost a lot of fans at that point who just couldn't get their heads around it. The record label didn't know what to do with it. It didn't have anything for radio on it. And um, that was that was a difficult sort of a time. And we made one more album with uh, EMI. Then we made Afraid of Sunlight, which again is one of our best albums. but they'd already, I think, psychologically, they'd already let us go before Afraid of Sunlight even came out. So that that album was kind of dead in the water in many ways, although it's, I mean, it may be a, it, I think it's one of the best albums we've made, and God knows we've made a few. Um, so that was that, and that was us parting with the major record label, but... Uh, then the then the internet happened and we became free. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you, yeah. You guys were like the the first band to ever do the crowdfunding record. And we were,
0: uh, we were the first band. Yeah. yeah the the first. First. Yep.
2: And, and looking back on that now, I mean I guess that was what 20, 22 years ago. To uh, amazing. Yeah, how, how, Jeez, it's how amazing. does that how does that feel like looking back now and, and kind of seeing what you guys basically created?
0: Well, it makes you feel uh, like, I mean, what? I ran into a guy in a cafe in um, Montreal a few years back, and he was a businessman, and he was just sitting there, we got talking, and he said, you're a musician, you look like you might be, and I said, yeah, I'm in a band called Marillion, and he went, Marillion, and I went, yeah, he said, oh my God, he said, I had to do a dissertation about Marillion at, mm. Oxford, at Oxford University uh, for my um, uh, business studies degree. And so I thought, wow, we made it onto the syllabus at Oxford. That's heavy duty. Yeah. Um, so that that was probably the best part of it I suddenly felt like an intellectual. Um, <laughs> You know, a bit of yeah. validation from, from the, um, from the proper, uh, proper Highbrow. posh. Yeah. Highbrow crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Highbrow crowd. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah. It, does it seem like, um and Shane, I don't know if you had a follow-up on this, but just, uh, I mean, all that time goes by and, and you know, it was just such a, a standard that you set right there. I mean, it was such a, a signature moment for you.
0: Well, that's for other people to say, but um, what, what, what that did, um, it meant that we could proceed without signing any of our rights away mm. and having more money than we'd ever had when we, when we were signing to major record labels, because the, the amount of money we had in the bank having sold 15,000 albums at 30 pounds each was you know 400 450,000 pounds in the bank which was a pretty decent advance even for the likes of you know some of the big stars would be mm. lucky to be putting that much in the bank before they'd even even got the record finished mm. so it made us very free um and it it meant that we kind of didn't have any record companies whispering in anybody's ear about how it should be or shouldn't be i mean maybe maybe that allowed us to be so self-indulgent that it was it, it wasn't good for us hmm. but um you know I'm, I'm prepared to take that you know as a, I, I i'll take that in preference to somebody going where's the single where's the single is someone actually distorting what you do for the marketplace um we we've we've never done that i mean that might sound stupid but it's not what we're about and we've survived this long yeah. and because we've because we've proceeded like that the fans that we still have are totally into and they then they know what to expect from us they can expect the unexpected they can expect something that isn't necessarily dead easy to listen to but will open up slowly to them into something that hopefully knocks them over at some point I, it has there's a lot of respect
2: there for you guys in the sense that you guys don't compromise you guys just do what you do and the fans come to you they evolve you know like kind of like what you were just saying but how there's so many bands out there steve that um i'll just i'll pull you two out of the hat just as an example i just feel like they moved towards something that they were not and uh now bono's talking about how crappy his songs have been the last 20 years do you have any thoughts on that?
0: We're just sticking to your guns and doing what you do. Well, I kind of lost sight a little bit of you too, but I, I, I'll never forget putting uh acting baby um, in the, in the slot in my car and hearing that for the first time. Yeah. And I thought that was fan- Amazing. And I thought amazing. it was, I thought brave. it was really, yeah. bra- I thought it was brave. Yeah, because they were tearing down the whole yeah. screaming yeah. from a mountaintop thing. Yeah, chopping so down the
1: uh, chopping down the Joshua tree, as uh, Larry Mullen said, I think in an interview once.
0: Uh, yeah, that uh, that's exactly what they were doing, and they were they, they were I don't they yeah they, they were chopping it down and then setting fire to it. <laughs> It was it was really radical, you know. I'll never forget that thing going. Tick, 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 tick. And I'm thinking, what the yeah. hell is this? You know, Zoo that, Station. Yeah, that, that <laughs> was a statement of intent right there. You know? Yeah. Um. So I've I've lost track of them. I I I, I don't know if if I mean I don't know. If, it's it's sad if Bono thinks he's been writing shit songs for twenty years. That's terribly sad. And it's probably not true. I, I think he's too talented for that to be true. He, he's just um, he's just trying to get some column inches, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but what yeah. when you go when you go into that studio? I mean,
2: you're you're just making. You guys are making an album for yourselves. You're not worrying about what what's gonna what's gonna come of it.
0: You guys are just no. being you. No, I mean, we've been working now for quite a few years with our producer, Mike, Mike Hunter, and he's like a, a sixth member of the band, really. Um, and he has an awful lot of creative input, and he really helps us, and he does a lot of the spade work that we can't be bothered to do. Like, like, after we've done all of these, Christ knows, well, years of jamming, um, it falls upon him. To listen through it, you know, and to flag up anything interesting and come to us and say, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? You know, we end up with folders full of little snippets of music Mm. um, that we all go to and listen through. And then we take a vote on it. We have like a five star folder where everybody voted for it, and a four star (laughs) one where only four of us did. Mm. And anything in the five star folder gets developed further. Mm. Um but Mike, I guess the, the the initial filtration process comes through Mike. So he wheedles out anything that he thinks is disappointing, any of those things Bono would have written. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and 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 this was the secret world uh this is or uh, not a secret world. the real world studios right this is uh peter gabriel's uh studio i mean what was it like to work in in such a facility like this and and
0: did peter even stop by at times no i've i've um we have our own studio so the way okay and the way we normally work is that we do all of that. We do the jam. We, we, we do the jams in our studio. We work on the jams. We start arranging the songs in our studio. And we we work the songs up to a point where we feel that they're really in a shape that we're happy with. Mm. And then we and we've done this for the last two or three albums. We then book a week down at Real World. Okay, and we go we go there and we record there, and we live together, and we just immerse ourselves in it twenty four seven. The problem we've got having our own studio is that we drive to it every day. We all have lives, you know, and and families, and and uh, so we come home at night for tea. Um, we can't really. Have a glass of wine or anything at the studio because we've got to drive home. Mm. And so some days you feel like, Am I still a musician or am I in a firm of accountants or architects or something? What happened? You know, it's like going to the office. So the chance to get away to a studio where you can live together and, you know, and then maybe have a couple of glasses of wine over dinner and go back into the studio and do one of those jams that you can only really do if you're not quite sober (laughs) and throw the throw those into the into the pot as well um real world is amazing it's like a the the control room is like a cathedral of technology. It's the only way I can describe wow. it. It's like a cathedral of the best technology, mm-hmm. um, the microphone amps and you know the mic vintage mics, just just state state of the art from every age, um, and it's a beautiful space. But it's a great acoustic space as well. Everything sounds great in there. Sounds really natural. Um, so. It's it's a great place to go and work, and we 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 sort of treat ourselves um, to go there. You know, it becomes it becomes the thing we aim for the whole time we're working on the songs, mm. and we we like to come back from there feeling okay. Now we're kind of ready to mix, mm. um, but I've not run into Peter in the real world. He doesn't go there much now because he moved to London, mm. but. Um, do you want? Do you want my Peter Gabriel story? Sure, when, please, absolutely. When I was, uh, absolutely. When I was, when I was in How We Live, uh, which was the the band after the Europeans, we made that record in Bath, uh, in in town, and we worked with a producer called David Lord, and he'd produced one of Peter's records, um, the one with. Um, san jacinto on it and shock the monkey mm. um which one was that number four security I think. security yep yeah yep. Does it have a name? and uh, and and so he he was still pretty close to peter and, and we kept borrowing things from peter we thought we were we thought we were renting them but he never sent us an invoice <laughs> so we slowly discovered we weren't renting them we were borrowing them and i took um I borrowed a thing called an emulator from, from there. And we had some AMS, uh, reverbs and effects. And I went, I went back up to his house with them to take them back one day. And he, um, he was there. And, and uh, so I said, Oh, hi, uh, I brought you this stuff, but I really appreciate you loaning it to us. And he said, oh, just put it in the studio, put it in the studio. And he had a studio. This was before he made Real World. Mm. Uh, He had a studio that was just in in the barn, a converted barn at the back of this house. And that had a big SSL desk in it. And he was just finishing off the So album. And they just mixed Red Rain. And he said, oh, we've just finished mixing a a track. Would you like to hear it?
1: My gosh. I said, yeah
0: go on then and um, so we we stood together and i think i was the first person outside of the you know the band and the producer to ever hear red rain oh
1: it's amazing
0: uh, come out of the speakers standing next to peter you know hearing stuart copeland's i said is that stuart copeland yeah yeah i thought it was um just uh, you know and then he said at the end what do you think and like, well not bad you know <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite wow. songs
1: ever it's a good spot,
0: right so yeah so then i went i went back to his house about 6 months later because we were back in Bath doing a 12 inch remix of his song and i went back there again to take something else back. And he was there again, and, and he invited me into his kitchen, and we had a cup of coffee, and he, he asked me if I'd like something to eat, but I, I, I'd eaten, so I didn't. We were just talking about life and the universe, and I said, oh, I, I, I hear you, you've had Joni Mitchell working in here. And he said, oh, yeah, she just left this morning about an hour ago. I said, Mm. you're fucking joking. I'll kill myself to meet Joni Mitchell, you know, and I just missed her. And um, Sledgehammer had just gone in the chart in England Mm. at about number 18 or something or 17. And uh, I said to him, well, I said, Peter, you're going to have a hit. And he went, Oh, well, it's only gone in at 17, It'll probably drop out again next week. I mean, he really had no idea that he was about to have the biggest record of his life.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
0: He didn't know. In uh, the video.
1: Yeah. The, the signature video and
0: all of it. That. Yeah. It's a great amazing. Video. That's amazing. So that's you? That's my piece of Gabriel's story. I love what it. An
2: amazing story. That's an amazing story. An amazing story.
0: <laughs> I love that what, album. That? The, he's the a Johnny lovely Mitchell. man. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he's the loveliest man. He, yeah. he's, he's a really, he's, he's he's a really special human being. Yeah, yeah. He would love to.
1: Yeah, that's our dream. One of our dream interviews.
0: <laughs> the, the
2: uh, you brought up Joni Mitchell. I, I'm sure you've been aware of the stuff going on in the news. You don't have to comment on it if you don't want. But uh, Joni Mitchell joined Neil Young. Yeah. Last last week um uh, hopping off Spotify. Um, due to uh, disinformation on Joe Rogan's program. Do you have any comment on your personal feelings on, on, on artists making statements like that?
0: Um, well, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for people, whether they're artists or not, um, speaking out about what they believe in, whatever that happens to be, um, and also listening um, to other people's points of view, you know, weighing it up and deciding, you know, eking out the truth from the bullshit. Um, I do think putting out an anti vaccine message is is not a good idea. Um, I, I know that, that, well, I've read that Neil's got personal reasons for being particularly bothered by that. Um, so fair, fair play to him. they probably don't give him much money anyway for streaming and stuff. Uh, so there's no great loss um, and it's cool and it's cool that Joni wanted to back him up you know and wanted to show him a bit of moral support. There's a guy in England. Have you heard of this artist James Blunt? Yes <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did this, he did this really cool thing He's, he, he put out a tweet. And he, he threatened to release some new music. But <laughs> <laughs> fired this, this Rogan character. And I thought that was really cool.
1: It's like I saw there was a meme that uh, Millie Vanilli plans to uh, fake somebody else's music. <laughs> the There's been a, a, a bunch of those out there. It's interesting too because uh, um uh, sirius xm launched uh i think they went back to the neil young channel that, in light of all this so there's been some movement with some other music services out there to to highlight not that neil young needs any highlighting but to you know put the music out there if you couldn't get it on on spotify so there's been some interesting movements around uh on that um do you have any thoughts on also just uh you mentioned the the you know on the dollar i think it is right shane that come in when it comes to streaming yeah. uh, i mean just how frustrating that is for artists i mean i know there's been a, a lot of artists i think Dee snider was taking spotify to task with with that and comments that it were made by their ceo you know basically saying that artists have to do more if they want to be more compensated and it's like well you know this is ridiculous
0: have to do more like what like no, do more no.
1: music basically if they want to earn more money on streaming they have to do more music which is just you know seems oh, okay. asinine
0: well I, I i think the whole streaming thing um has been a little bit of a land grab you know it's been it's been a little like all these all these people who first went to america and put a put a fence around a piece of land and said i'll have this um it's been a little bit like that. What tends to happen with, with new technologies and new systems is that time passes and proper rules and proper laws slowly get made um, to, um, to make things fair and reasonable. You know, I mean, I think various characters are going to haul their lawyers in over time. And they'll they'll do their sword fencing back in two and and I, th- I think gradually um, I'm I'm hopeful that that the um, the kind of royalty remuneration for for artists art will will increase because it has been unfair and they they are they are ripping all the artists I mean artists were always ripped off but um, I think Spotify are are taking the Mickey, really. And and I think over time it'll probably it'll probably start to make a slightly more sense because you know what's artists won't 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 be able to afford to function otherwise. I gotta
2: ask you a question from a fan here. Um, jason wanted to know um and i'm a big fan of this band as well so you you're you helping me out too what was it like working with uh, matt, matt johnson on the infected tour and some of those singles in there that you uh you got to play piano and stuff on
0: no i only played piano on one i played um i played piano on heartland which was um i think was the first single from um infected and I was invited over to the studio by a guy called Warren Livesey because I'd worked with him. He'd done done some work with the Europeans and he was producing the album. Um, And he phoned me up one day and just said, Can can you play blues piano? And I went, Well, maybe. Uh, (laughs) Who wants to know? And, and uh, he said, oh, I'm working with with the, then, working with Matt Jensen. And I, go, I said, well, f- f- tell me where to be. I'm on my way. So I went over and um, in the end, it's not really a blues piano. It's not even a blues song. So I, I don't know how you would put a blues piano on that song because the, the tempo's all wrong and everything about it's wrong for blues. But I think he just wanted those kind of scales. So I got stuck in, and they eventually got happy, and I played the piano on Heartland. Mm. And then um, in 1989, Matt phoned me up and he said, um, I'm going to go on tour. With, and I've, I've just made an album called Mind Bomb with Johnny Marr from the Smiths and James Eller on drums, and who was the bass player? James Eller was the bass player. Um, the drummer was, oh, what was his name? I can't remember the name of the drummer, but he was, a, he was the bees and he's a hot session player at the time, he was playing with everybody. So it was a really, really cool band he put together. And Matt, at that point, was one of the coolest artists in, in the UK. Um, and so he asked me if I'd, if I'd go and play piano on the tour. And so I, I, I went and had a meeting with him in London and I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. Um, and then Marillion phoned me up and asked me if I'd be their singer. Mm. <laughs> so it, was, yeah. it was a really strange choice to have to make. <laughs> like opposite ends of the rainbow almost. Yeah. the <laughs> <Good> choices. <laughs> yeah. And that was all history. <laughs>
1: Well, I have to tell you, this has been such an enlightening uh, moment. Uh, we're so blessed to have Mr. H. Of course, uh, the single now is uh, "Be Hard on Yourself." The album is "An Hour Before It's Dark." Merillion coming out via Ear Music on uh, March fourth, twenty twenty two. Which uh, it's twenty twenty two, but it's so weird saying that, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I keep writing twenty one, but you know, you want to write twenty twenty two. No one wants to think about twenty twenty one anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Mr. H, thank you so much for your time, sir.
0: It's a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it.